Chapter Twenty Seven of A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron White. A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science by George Griffith. Chapter Twenty Seven. On the third morning after the momentous interview at Hyde Park Court, Grace Enstone, running through the little pile of letters which lay at her right hand at the breakfast-table, opened an envelope which had a coronet and a monogram on it, took out two exquisitely designed cards, glanced at one of them, and said, tossing it across to her husband, "'There, Harold, what do you think of that? The gossips were right, after all, don't you see? But what if your suspicions about him are right, and the poor princess were to find it out too late?' to wake up some fine morning and find that she had married such a man as Collier Banfield was. Don't you think? No, dear, I don't, he replied somewhat coldly. I know what you are going to say. Don't I think she ought to be warned before she takes the fatal step? Certainly not. It is no business of ours to interfere with the matrimonial projects of an experienced woman of the world like the Princess Natif. If she chooses to marry without inquiring into his antecedents, what on earth has that to do with us?' Besides, you know, I am not absolutely certain, and if we said anything of that sort before I am, a man like Siemens could make things very unpleasant for me, and would. No, I think her highness will have to stand the hazard of her luck. She is not exactly the sort of woman I like, in spite of her undeniable beauty and brilliance, but for all that I should be really sorry if she marries Siemens and he turns out to be Banfield. Yes, poor thing, said Grace. That would be a fate for a woman who is received at all the courts of Europe, in spite of all his millions. Which would not be very much use to him, socially or financially, if our friends from America are able to help me to prove him to be what I think he is, princess or no princess. I'll have no mercy for him. But for the present, at any rate, I suppose we must give him the benefit of the doubt, and therefore I suppose you will attend the reception at the Institute. Oh, yes, of course she replied with a laugh. All the disciples of the new craze will be sure to be there, and considering the princess's position and Mr. Seaman's enormous wealth and influence, I should think all the upper half of society will be there as well. It will be quite one of the picturesque functions of the season. But what about you? I'm afraid you won't be able to go. Oh, no, he said. That is quite out of the question. I absolutely must start for Enstone tomorrow. I put that business off quite long enough, and, after all, ironworks and collieries are a little bit more important than the wetting reception of one's friends who may shortly become one's enemies. Still, that won't matter to you, dear. You can easily fix up a party with Lady Georgina and Mrs. Grover, and, of course, the gallant colonel will be only too delighted to escort you. Don't you worry about me. I shall be much happier fighting for my own way with those hard-headed northern coal and iron kings than I should be loitering about the grounds at the Institute and paying more or less insincere compliments to Her Highness Mrs. Headley Siemens. Rather curious mixture of titles, isn't it? It would be still more curious, I'm afraid, if she found herself Her Highness Mrs. Collier Banfield. But for her sake, I think we may hope that she hasn't anything like that in store for her. But isn't it just like her, springing the news of her marriage on the world like this at a couple of days' notice, and selecting the Institute for her reception? I rather wonder the grave and reverend Issa Ramel gave the use of his sanctuary for such a frivolous purpose as a wedding reception. 
but they are of course both disciples and i dare say very considerable contributors to the funds unless poor sir godfrey's million has made them independent of that sort of thing well from what i hear of their operation in other parts of the world i should imagine there wasn't much of that million left replied harold and without any undue prejudice it is a jolly good job that your late lamented uncle isn't still in the position to devote more millions to the object which is a ramel and the rest of them had apart now dear i must be off i suppose your most immediate concern now is something dazzling in the way of costumes for the function of course she replied with a laugh what else do you suppose a woman would be thinking about under the circumstances i shall have the victoria at once and go and see lady georgina and mrs grover if i can catch them before they go out and have a good talk and then we'll go and enjoy ourselves in dressland right you are dear he said going round the table and taking her by the shoulders good morning you go and spend the money on fineries and i'll go and see if i can make a few pounds to repair the damage a few pounds she laughed when she had returned his kiss I am afraid it will come to rather more than that, you mercenary person. But after all, it won't make a very big hole in those thousands of thousands that you keep on piling so recklessly on top of each other. Now get away to your old money-making. I must go and see Harold the Second, and then dream about dresses. The Princess Natif's wedding reception at the Institute of Psychic Science was, as Grace Enstone had so innocently anticipated, a very brilliant, in fact a triumphal, success. The wedding ceremony had been performed quite quietly at St. Luke's Kensington under a special license. The invited guests had not numbered more than a dozen, and the bride, who had no near relatives in England, was given away by the Russian ambassador, an old friend of her father's who acted in loco parentis. With an instinctive genius, or stage effect, and for other purposes of her own and her husband's, the princess had concentrated all her efforts on the reception, and the result had amply justified even her most sanguine anticipations. Every one from East and West complimented her at the leave-taking on having organized and achieved the most brilliant matrimonial function that London had so far seen but the real achievement for which the function had been organized had not yet been accomplished. It was a difficult, and, as some might have thought, practically impossible task to spirit such a well-known woman as Mrs. Harold Enstone out of London in the full swing of the season, and to cause her thenceforth to vanish from the world which knew her so well. And this had to be done if the unholy marriage compact was to be kept, and this carefully arranged opportunity could never be repeated." her husband's absence had in one sense confused the plans of the conspirators but in another had simplified them when grace came with lady georgina and mrs rowell grover to say good-bye and offer their final congratulations the princess slipped her arm through hers and drew her aside towards the door of the big reception-room my dear mrs enstone she said in a voice in which grace immediately recognized a note of apprehension i want you to do me a very great favour will you of course if i can replied grace under the circumstances it would be difficult to say no wouldn't it even if one wanted to which i don't what is it uh, to begin with said the princess i am going to ask you to come and have a little private chat with me it isn't quite the sort of thing that i can explain to you here but really i can assure you that to me it is of the most vital importance it is rather hard 
she went on in a whisper, that a shadow, and a rather dark one, too, should fall across a woman's life path on her wedding day. But that has happened to me, and you are the only one that can help me clear it away. Perhaps you understand? Oh, yes, said Grace, remembering what her husband had said at breakfast-time three mornings before. I think I do, at least if it has anything to do with Mr. Siemens and a case of questioned identity. Exactly, whispered the princess. That horrible rumour reached me only last night, on the eve of my wedding day, but my faith goes where my love goes, and by something like a miracle my husband has, within the last few hours, received evidence which enables him to absolutely destroy all ground for that terrible suspicion. We had hoped your husband would be here, but we will give the proofs to you, that you may give them to him. Now will you come with me? Of course I will, replied Grace. Who am I that I should refuse to make a bride happier upon her wedding day? Thank you, dearest, whispered the princess. You will truly be my good angel if you will. Now we will go and say good afternoon to our mutual friends. You can tell them that you are going to stop a little while with me, and I shall have a message sent to your coachman to wait for further orders, and then we can go and have our talk. They made their adieu, and Grace followed the radiant bride out of the reception room and down the long curtained corridor which led to the sanctuary of secrets. This, I think, dear Mrs. Enstone, said the princess very sweetly, drawing the red curtain aside and opening the door, is one of the most interesting rooms in the Institute, and only those of us who are earnest students of the mysteries have been admitted so far, and as I want our little talk to be very private, I have taken the responsibility of bringing you here. She stood aside, holding the door half open, and Grace walked past her with her head slightly bowed. The next instant the door closed sharply behind her. She raised her head, and to her utter amazement, her eyes met those of Jenner Halkine, the convict, who, as she had believed for the last three years, had paid the penalty which discharges all the debts of humanity and opens the prison gates forever. "'Uncle! Uncle, is it really you? No, it can't be possible. You have been dead.' "'In one sense, yes, my dear Grace,' replied the long familiar voice as he came towards her, his eyes staring straight into hers. "'Socially and professionally, yes, but physically, as you can see, no. Circumstances have unfortunately compelled us to be strangers for too long.' But thanks to the princess and her husband, with whom we shall have a little important talk shortly, I am able to renew your acquaintance, and this time I trust that it will not be broken off quite so abruptly as it was before. As he had gone on speaking, every word had come more slowly from his lips, and his eyes had come closer and closer to hers. He put out his hands and clasped her temples. She saw his two eyes merge into one, one all-compelling visual force which she recognized as the once familiar instrument of the masterful soul behind the eye. Her own sight grew dim, her senses began to wander. She struggled hard to keep her self-control, but it was no use. Her limbs relaxed, and she began to sway from side to side. She had a sense of being caught and lifted up, and then, through the mists of the dreamland into which she was sinking, she heard a voice which she dimly recognized as the princess's, saying, "'It's very wonderful, doctor. I don't think there should be any great difficulty after this.'" End of chapter 27